countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Cowabunga! It is now time for more of the last comic shop! That's so radical, man. We are really dusting off these long boxes this week for a not old book, but a new book on an old topic uh, where we help people find their way underneath this comic book tent of ours. Yeah, and we keep the lights on for the oldies that might have had some sort of feud that caused them to drift apart, and then one gets all this Nickelodeon money and the other one gets nothing, but then eventually they reconcile and come back together and and make you, ah, I'm going off on a run. Anyway, uh, old guys are going to love it. They'll love oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're a bunch of old guys, too. I'm the host of The Most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And we all remember when the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out, because we are old <laughs> like that. First came out with, and I talk about it often, a graphic, uh, or I guess it was a trade paperback, uh, original reprints of all of the Eastman and Laird original stories. So like their fight against Shredder and the first appearance of the Mousers and all that great jazz. And I read it cover to cover when I got it in fifth grade. Fifth grade. We're not talking about that book on this week's show. We're, We're talking about the Ice-T song. Go Ninja, go Ninja, go. Not Ice-T. Ice oh, sorry. No, Cube, Ice Cube, right? No, what's no! Ice. ice. Vanilla ice. ice. Oh, right. There okay. you go. You got to check your ices. Still one of my favorite parts of that movie. Won't lie. <laughs> I remember seeing that with Ethan in the theaters and like. Could you get your money back? <laughs> oh, that was the height of pop culture in 1992 or whatever that was. Right. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is still extremely popular. And so today on today's program, we're going to be talking about The Last Ronin. <laughs> which was the recently uh, wrapped up uh, miniseries. Again, Eastman and Laird coming back together to give us more Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles after so many years of being apart. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that as well as talk a little bit about uh, that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game. Right, J.A.? You wanted to mention a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, that's my recommendation. Well, one of them. <laughs> oh, Revenge of Shredder. Shredder's Revenge. Something like that. Yeah. I I have not played it yet because I'm waiting for the physical copy. Like, that's what I want. I want it in disc form because I've been waiting with bated breath to get mine. Chad, have you played it yet? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a new retro Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game for the Switch. Yeah. Oh. And every, well, and, and PlayStation and, and Xbox, but it's, it's, it's an updated version of the arcade game. You can play as all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You can play as April O'Neil in her her reporter gear. You can play as Casey Jones from the animated series. Uh, you can play as Splinter. It's great. Oh, like, that's you gotta, awesome. you got to check it out, Chad. It's like the bee's knees, even though I've not played it. J.A.'s played it, though, right? Yes. I was playing it this this morning with Alex, kicking some, some foot soldiers. What's your character? What's your go-to character in that game? I, I was Leonardo. Oh, what about Alex? Uh, he was Raphael, and then he was April O'Neil, and then he was Donatello. He doesn't have a favorite. He just goes with uh, different ones. He likes to see what the different powers are. Oh, okay. All right. Well, one power that we have every single week is our weekly polls. Yes, I don't know if it's a really great power, but it's a power to bring people together on Twitter 
at Last Comic Shop. That's where you can find us every single week. And J.A. is nice enough to put out a weekly poll every single week that we hope that people will participate in, give us their feedback so we can do these recap shows and give you the results. Uh, now, and I will say that we have not done one of these in months. So over the next couple of weeks, you're going to get a bunch of these kind of shows. And we're going to start off this week with going way back to May when we were still moving our movie mayhem. And I think it's the poll results from uh, the week of Judge Dredd, right, J.A.? Yeah, so we were looking at Judge Dredd, and Judge Dredd, obviously the movie Dredd was a remake. So the poll question was, what other comic book movie franchise is in need of a reboot? And uh, the four that you could choose from were Ghost Rider, Green Lantern, The Rocketeer, or Catwoman. And uh, which one won? Ghost Rider won. Which, come on! I mean... I think it won not because people want to see uh, a reboot of Johnny Blaze, because let's face it, no one can do Johnny Blaze better than Nicolas Cage. <laughs> That's it. I think they want the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. Oh. Ah. Or, the, or the guy with the car. What is that? Roberto yeah, Robbie Reyes. Reyes. I won't lie. I really do like the Ghost Rider with the car. Like, I, I've read him not only in his own series, but also uh, him on The Avengers with uh, Jason Aaron's run that so I, I i wouldn't mind seeing a movie with uh old reyes chad what did you vote for as much as i love the rocketeer as much as i think the ghost rider is a cool visual i cannot get enough Catwoman. and the only Catwoman movie there's ever been was that terrible one with halle berry it was just so bad and could you imagine the new zoe kravitz leading her own film that would be the best thing ever but yeah yeah ghost rider Head and stare, all that other stuff, whatever. I went for Ghost Rider with the caveat that we get the cosmic Ghost Rider, Frank Castle, the Punisher, with baby Thanos. And then you have that scene where Cable comes back and picks up Galactus and puts it into a shotgun and shoots him off into space. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the bee's knees. Anyways, what's our next poll, J.A.? This was when we read V for Vendetta. Which of the four mainstream Alan Moore movies was the best adaptation? Was it From Hell, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, V for Vendetta, or Watchmen? And uh, this was also, I think, a pretty close poll at times, but uh, ultimately what won, J.A.? Watchmen won. V for Vendetta came in second place at 38%. No one. No one was liking Tom Sawyer, Super Spy. (laughs) (laughs) The movie that made Sean Connery quit acting. I thought this was going to be a good movie. I voted for, I think, Watchmen, although I'll be very honest, I kind of hated all of these movies. (laughs) As you listen to my uh, V for Vendetta show, I didn't like that one at all. And Watchmen was okay at times, I guess. But to, to Chad's point... Uh, Zack Snyder spent too much time trying to recreate the comic book, which was a bad idea. The Watchmen show is so much better than the Watchmen movie. And B for Vendetta, I wasn't the biggest fan of. And League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, we all know is terrible. And what was the other one? Oh, yeah. From Hell. Hell. Oh, that. Right. We just went through that, the whole Amber Heard. Uh, So, yeah, I respectfully (laughs) abstained. All right. What's our third poll, J.A.? The MCU Phase 4 TV show that people were most looking forward to. So this was right before Miss Marvel came out. So was it Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, 
Secret Invasion, which I think I called um, Secret. Yeah, I, Secret Wars. It's but everyone everyone knew what I meant. And or Ironheart, which got like two percent of the vote. So people probably had to Google that. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it, it's not coming out till twenty twenty four, I think. So yeah, what won that one? I think so. Uh, Secret Invasion and She Hulk were going head to head, and then Secret Invasion uh, pulled ahead in the end. I was hoping that you'd actually include Nova on this because everybody's very excited about that Nova show coming out but i i voted for she hulk and of all the ones coming out I, i'm most excited just to see some sexy jennifer walters she's awesome i don't know what else to say about it she revs my engine oh my goodness the secret invasion i remember when the comic books came out the the premise is such a great premise where you have all these people that you know are secretly scrolls and like they've been scrolls all along and why uh, I just think that that has potential to be a, a lot of fun. Ironheart, I actually want to do really well because that's a book where I stumbled on the first appearance and, and a buck bin. Oh, really hoping for that one. He's to hoping that to the moon. just goes up in price, it's right? Like looking, yeah. looking at the arbitrage value in that. Exactly. But I know I, I voted for uh, Ms. Marvel and the show has turned out so great. It has that youthful energy. And I do feel like it's an opportunity for Marvel to provide something a little different. Like yeah. this is something, you know, that's not your standard macho muchacho superhero fair. And so and I, I think they, they've kicked butt with the youthful energy of that show. It's great. Uh, J.A., what was your pick? Also Ms. Marvel for okay. most of the same reasons. All right. Uh, what was our fourth and I guess technically fifth because we had a bonus poll for this the, the next week coming up, right? Yes. So this was Great Darkness Saga. Which of the Legion of Superheroes founders did you think was the best? Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl, or Lightning Lad. Okay. So which one won this one? I think it was Saturn Girl, which is Saturn Girl, yeah, by a landslide. She got over 50% of the vote. I, I, I won't lie. I didn't really have a horse in this race. I don't know. I've always liked Saturn Girl's look. And Cosmic Boy got that awful costume in the late 70s, like where it was like, I don't know, did he not wear a shirt? Yeah. <laughs> and very small pants. I don't know where to look when I see some of those issues. I'm like, I, I think I need to take a shower. Chad, Chad, who did you vote for in this? Uh, I think for this one, I just clicked a button. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know if you recall the show. I, I had mentioned how we read one of the best Legion stories, and, then, and I was out. So uh, I just quit thinking about Legion, so uh, I picked the winner. That, that was uh. the one I liked. All right. Well, what was the bonus poll for this week, though, J.A.? So, uh, this came up in our discussion. So, is a hero a sandwich? Yes ah. or no? Yeah, this one was the this was the real poll, right? Like, this was oh, the yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. What was the winner, J.A.? So, yes. According to our fans and listeners and the Twitterati out there, a hero is a sandwich, 61% of the vote. Ah. Nobody came back on my question whether it was essentially just a Greek taco, <laughs> which begs the question, then, is a taco a sandwich? Well, all right, Chad, you have the floor. Uh, you well, were the guy that was like a negative Nelly on the whole hero indeed. being a sandwich. So I, I did some Googling, which is a thing I'll do from time to time. And it turns out, you are correct, a hero is considered a Mediterranean sandwich. However, a taco is not. And I still want to protest this because <laughs> any gyro I've ever had, and I always called them gyros, it's on one piece of pita bread, right? Yeah. And so do you sandwich the pita bread together? No, it's only one piece. You smush it together. <laughs> 
It should be called a smusher, not a sandwich. If it's sandwich, you have two pieces of bread, and you sandwich some meat in between those pieces of bread. You don't smush them. You sandwich. <laughs> and it's the same with a taco. And if a taco is not a sandwich, I don't see how or why a gyro should be considered a sandwich. It just doesn't. It doesn't track. It's only wow. one piece. Wow. I think this is going to be a debate that we're going to have for years to come. I think we've gone down a road similar to is a hot dog a sandwich, which it is. A hot dog no, it is. No, it is. A hot dog is a hot dog. No, a hot dog is a sandwich. It's the same principle. Yeah, I'll what, happens you that you have a, what happens if you eat a hot dog without the bun? Well, then it's a sausage or some sort of piece of meat. Yeah. And once again, it's a bun, but the bun is still connected. It's one piece. It's a smusher, not a sandwich. <laughs> have you ever had a hot dog sandwich? If you have, you're an animal. You're a goddamn animal. That's not how it works. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap up this segment. We got one more. You, you're telling me you, you've never had leftover hot dog, but no buns. So you, that, so you cook it and then you cut it in half and cut it in quarters and put it down on a piece of bread? I, I, well, one piece of bread, but not two. <laughs> you take the one piece and you fold it around. It's a, it's a, a folder, a oh. bread folder. <laughs> a folder? What is this, a trapper keeper? Come on, let's move on. <laughs> All right, J.A., J. what was our last poll? Like, we got we spent the whole show on this. So this was uh, the Muhammad Ali versus Superman show. So I said, what other heavyweight boxer could go toe-to-toe with soups? Oh, uh, this was like a landslide. There was like, wasn't even close, right? Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, George Foreman, or Joe Frazier. Ah, and yeah, I mean, who came out along with it? The only guy that has a video, well, I guess Evander Holyfield had a video game, right? I don't yeah, know. The Genesis. Who was that? Buster Douglas. Well, it was Mike Tyson, right? That he won in a landslide. He did win in a landslide. Evander Holyfield and George Foreman came in tied for fourth. Uh, I guess nobody likes the grill anymore. Uh, Joe Frazier, a nice 14%, you know, good good on the Philadelphia kid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who did you vote for, J.A.? I voted for Joe Frazier. Oh, look at you. Pennsylvania pride, baby. Chad? Uh, I went with Iron Mike. He's yeah. the baddest. Right, exactly. He's the only one that would bite off Superman's ear and then show yeah, but- it to him. But Joe Frazier actually beat Muhammad Ali, and if Muhammad Ali could go toe-to-toe with Superman, then Joe Frazier can obviously Look, go toe-to-toe no with Superman. We have no time for logic on this show. <laughs> have you ever listened to our show? It's illogical most of the time. So uh, one thing that we hope that you isn't uh, logical for you is whether or not you should go out every single week to At Last Comic Shop and vote in our weekly polls. We really do w- hope that everybody participates so that we can keep on giving you some great recap shows in future. And coming up right after these commercial breaks, we've got The Last Ronin, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action coming right at you. Get your nunchucks ready. He's the critic. He's the comic. And that's the gimmick. It's the Dare Daniel podcast, where film critic Daniel Barnes and comedian Cork McDonald do your dirty work by watching the worst movies imaginable. Know of a movie so bad you have to share it? A film with a bad rap you've always been curious about? An underrated bit of cinema you'd love to hear discussed? Or are you a great big fat person? Whatever the case, we happily accept your most sadistic or altruistic dares. Every Tuesday we release a full-length episode of Cinematic Stunt Work. And every Thursday an action-packed mini-episode featuring previews, general movie discussion, and your movie dares. Plus beer. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, our website daredaniel.com, and anywhere fine podcasts are burnished and proffered. 
And make sure to check out our sister pods, Serious Talk Seriously and Graphic Novel Explorers Club for more quality Sacramento podcasts. Rev up your party van. It's now time for another Read Pile Review. Yes, back here at the last comic shop, we always like to give you comic books that you should check out at your local comic book store. And we feel like this one is one that a lot of people have either checked out if you're a comic book fan or need to check out if you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan because it was something of some news over the last couple of months. One of the hottest books in the last two years. Yeah. Everybody was reading The Last Ronin, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And who did this fantastic book, Chad? Okay, so this is based on a story from uh, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird and Tom Waltz. Uh, Tom Waltz and Eastman ended up writing the script for it. Kevin Eastman did layouts. And then on pencils and inks, it was Esau and Isaac Escorza. Ben Bishop and Kevin Eastman did parts. Colors were done by Samuel Plata. And Luis Antonio Delgado, Sean Lee on letters as well. And uh, for those people that may have uh, read it or might just want to be listening to this show because they love the Turtles, J.A., what's that 10 cents synopsis? Okay, and this was put out by IDW. So essentially we're in the future and all the Turtles are dead save one. And he is going to take revenge for the death of the other turtles and Splinter against the grandson of Shredder, who has taken over New York, and New York has become kind of an island, a la Escape from New York, and April O'Neil is banging around without an arm and without a leg, and <laughs> she's, she's got... She's got prosthetics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll get into spoilers afterwards, so I'm not going to ruin anything else but there's some other people show up that are sort of some nice callbacks where this turtle who i won't name here they reveal who it is at the end of the first issue goes through getting over the trauma of seeing his whole family killed and then redeeming them and 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 trying to fight against uh the foot clan to redeem the honor of his his family and his clan Okay, so that's the 10 cent. And one question I had before we begin too much is, again, they don't reveal who that one sole turtle is until the end of the first issue. Going into the first issue, though, and before we get to spoilers, I'm going to go around and say, who did you think it was before they had the reveal? And we'll start off with Chad. Honestly, who did you think it was? Well, it was neat because that that was part of the, the mystique and the mystery. And, you know, you have that front cover with the the turtle with his back to the camera and he has all the different weapons of all the different Ninja Turtles. And as you're reading through that first issue, you see this one remaining turtle is he sees the ghosts. He hears the voices of his brothers, you know, chastising him and poking him and prodding him. And, uh, boy, for me, I, I don't know. It was a little bit of a uh, psychological projection because my favorite turtle was always uh, Raphael. And so I thought, Oh, it's gotta be Raph. Raph has to be the one to make it the longest. It wasn't rap. <laughs> All right. J.A., well, who was your pick? I also thought it was rap. I figured it wouldn't be Leonardo. That's too easy. <laughs> and it wouldn't be Donatello because, well, it's never Donatello. <laughs> so, and, and Michelangelo, I thought, oh, that'll be too easy because he was the young one. He's the most impetuous one. So for him to live the longest and like to, to have to carry this whole burden. Do you have a pick, Andy? 
I, I did. I mean, I won't lie. I actually, I thought it was Leonardo, even though it was the simple choice, uh, just simply because he's the leader. And you think about Last Ronin, and you think about, you know, the guy that was the most honorable or most like a, a samurai per se. And it's always been Leonardo. He was the leader. I thought he was going to carry the pack. I actually didn't think it was Raph at all because I thought that was too easy. Because Raph is like the equivalent in a lot of people's minds to Wolverine. And I was just like, oh boy. If it's Raph, that's this is just like old man Logan again. Like, and I've and I've and I've seen that, and I'll get to that in some of my thoughts. But yeah, I thought it was Leonardo, and I'm glad it ultimately wasn't. It was, and spoiler alert, Michelangelo, the youngest of all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, carrying that weight into the future. And this begins our spoiler part of the show. So if you haven't read it, turn it off. Turn it off right now. Go read the book, come back, and listen to the rest of this review. But yeah, initial thoughts to finding out it was Michelangelo, guys. Well, once I read through the story, it made sense. Everything seemingly tracked where, you know, it is a story that's set in the future, so he's going to have some miles on him. And I did think that the the characters, like you get to see all the turtles' deaths in this book, and they all made sense for those individual characters. Like you have... You know, Raph going out, the hothead, you know, and confronting uh, Kari, you know, he meets his demise, basically putting an end to her. And the scene with Donatello and uh, Master Splinter, that was just, it was heartbreaking. I don't know. it. The fact that Michelangelo would have to be the one to, to grow up and to face this and to handle the burden, even though he was the least expected, I, I thought it worked for me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't read a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. I watched the television show, the cartoon, and obviously saw the movie. So when I found out it was Michelangelo, I was like, oh, now I know who it is. I didn't invest it. Oh, he was the youngest. Now he's the oldest. Uh, you know, I just so finding out it was him. Yeah, it was OK. Now I know who it is. Let's let's get on with the rest of the story. <laughs> oh, so it was very it was almost anticlimactical or it was just like, no, it was it just, just just a matter of thing. It was like, uh, oh, OK. All right. Yeah, I um, finding out it was Michelangelo was actually that point in the story was like, OK, I actually was excited. This is who I hoped it was going to be. I mean, I thought it was going to be Leonardo. I, I, I was hoping it wasn't Raph. When I found out it was Michelangelo, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, he's the youngest. He's going to have more of a hero's journey. I'm interested to see what happens with him. This, from a narrative perspective, was the way to go. Uh, so I'm glad they went down that route. But I won't lie, my excitement kind of waned very, very quickly. I love the first issue of this series. Everything else, not so much. But uh, I'm going to kind of put a pin in my thoughts and and hear some more from from chad because uh, i think he really liked it and so for those people that are can't came to this show to hear somebody gush i think chad's got that in the bag so chad what do you what you think of this so no i i really really like this this was the ninja turtles crossed with some of the more tactical aspects of a gi joe comic the old larry hama gi joe comics crossed with the dark knight returns the frank miller story which, if you go back to the essence of the Ninja Turtles, they started off being uh, that takeoff of all those Frank Miller comic books in the 80s. You know, so much of their origin is based off of the Frank Miller's Daredevil origin. The Ooze 
is the same that, you know, struck Daredevil. And instead of Daredevil fighting the hand, the turtles fight the foot. And instead of Daredevil's uh, sensei being uh, stick, the turtles was splinter. And so you have all that Frank Miller stuff at the beginning. It only makes sense to have all this Frank Miller stuff, all these Frank Miller homages, including, did you guys catch the, the panel homage to Frank Miller's Ronin? Yes. Like in that last battle and that sword scene, like it just made sense thematically to have that be the end of the Ninja Turtles as well. And so I really enjoyed from soup to nuts, this whole thing. And I will say for me, one interesting part of this story was this is one of the books that came out at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, and stores were shutting down and the, the, the world was crazy. And, uh, my, one of my local comic shops, I think I've mentioned this before, went rogue and kept a shop open when it wasn't supposed to be open. Say what you will about the, the pandemic situation. I felt like, oh, okay, I need to support this guy's business because there's, you have to have a reason for, for staying open. So I thought, oh, I need to buy some stuff so I would pick up some things that I wasn't normally getting. And I don't normally need, read the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I saw this last Ronin. And I was like, yeah, I'll pick it up. And from the jump, you have that intrigue of, you know, which turtle is this? And uh, instead of wearing one of the colored masks, like, you know, everybody knows that Raph was red and Michelangelo was orange and Leonardo was blue. He has a black mask. And then you get into the story and you meet the daughter of April O'Neil and Casey Jones. And I thought oh, that's a cool next generational way to, to handle this and then you have all the callbacks to those characters that you remembered from the turtles cartoons fugitoid and baxter stockman like they pay just enough homage to the stuff that had come before while telling this dark knight-esque tale and, and, and setting things up for that next generation you know you have your carrie kelly in uh casey marie jones there, there couldn't have been a more appropriate way to to sign off of the ninja turtles than with the last Ronin. Okay. J.A., your thoughts? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Some of the things I thought that were kind of neat was the fact that he was getting stronger as he got older, that he was the mutation was, was making him more powerful, and that then Casey Jones and April O'Neil's exposure to the Turtles and to Splinter all that time had passed on the, that mutation to their child, to Casey Jones... Yeah. The, the daughter. Um, Can I and uh, put a pause on that? It's similar to that Spider-Man Reign story, but instead of Spider-Man giving Mary Jane cancer, they made uh, Casey Jones's daughter more powerful. So I like that version instead. Right. Anyway, she doesn't on. have she doesn't have cancer. She has mutagen stuff in her, so she's strong and she's getting stronger. And then the daughter grows up post uh, death of all the Ninja Turtles, and and Michelangelo has gone off to lick his wounds essentially so she's grown up with all these stories of the turtles but she hasn't seen them and, and she's kind of had to teach herself karate and there's this really great scene where she's training and michelangelo comes in and he goes oh that's great if you want to you know get your heart beat up but now let's see you really fight <laughs> <laughs> you want to do some cardio work. right and then and then it was this wonderful wonderful scene it reminded me of that scene from kill bill part two where uma thurman's at the chinese monastery and she's fighting pai mei and pai mei is like you know doing nothing he never moves his hands he's got his hands behind his back and he's just kicking the crap out of her and it's like saying that your karate is horrible your kung fu is horrible 
Yeah, that that was a neat little scene in terms of the the, the training. I, I I it was one of the few scenes in this other than issue one that I like. Uh, <laughs> and I, uh, and I, and I think I'm going to jump in here because I, I think it's about time for the other viewpoint of this. And I won't wait, lie. It, it's now time for the... <laughs> <laughs> all right. This was a series that I didn't read a lick of until it was all finished, right? I kept on seeing everywhere on the social medias and Chad was telling me a little bit about like every issue he was buying and everybody was talking about Last Run and they were like, oh, this is great. You got to read this. It's so good every single month. And so I was getting hyped up. This, again, I think is the equivalent of one of those movies that you keep on seeing the trailers for. And every single time you see the trailer for, you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. This is going to be so satisfying. I can't wait for this movie to come out. I think similar to what uh, Chad thought about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. He was like, ooh, this might be the one that gets everything back on track. I'm like, yeah, I was a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. This is going to be the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story ever. And then I read that first issue and I was like, yes, this is. And then I read issue two and I was like, no, this isn't <laughs> this isn't at all this is pretty much a paint by numbers retread of about a thousand other comic books i've read over my lifetime and boy this is unsatisfying and every single issue that happened after what i get it chad you were you know i think it is good that they homaged a lot of stuff like the Ronin and Dark Knight Returns, but I don't need a retelling of those stories. I can just go and read the originals, which are so much better. I don't need, here's the same story with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I just don't need it. And I, that's what I thought this was. This brings nothing new to the table. In fact, every single note, whether it's like, oh, you know, the old time ally is still alive, but she's horribly mangled and oh, she's going to help. Shredder took over New York, which I never understood how he did that. Like, I was just like, okay, like, how did he do that? Was it explained? Was it Baxter Stockman and the Mousers? Like, I, I, I it just, okay, we're just going to go with that. It's just going to be a plot. He somehow became overlord of New York, and the rest of the United States was okay with it. It didn't make any sense to me. And then, like, again, you have the, the retread of, like, oh, here's the young almost Robin-esque character that's going to join the old guard and become the new... Again, all of this I saw. All of this was somewhere else. And I didn't need it again. That's that's just my thought. Chad? Dude, it's the Teenage Mutant <laughs> Ninja Turtles is my defense. This started out as a, you know, a parody that ended up taking the, the nation by storm once it was processed and turned into a cartoon and a toy line and it's part of the cultural zeitgeist there's no reason why it shouldn't absorb the zeitgeist and play around with all these different tropes if you are expecting something new and groundbreaking you shouldn't be looking for it in the teenage mutant <laughs> ninja turtle <laughs> all right well then i guess my negative nancy review comes from the fact that like i was hoping that i could go back home again right I was a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles growing up. I had not read any comic books with them since that time. I was hoping this was going to be one of those times when you go back to your hometown and everything is wonderful. And it wasn't. Oh. It was kind of a letdown. You were like, oh, it didn't hit you. You talked about the surprise of being Michelangelo. The biggest surprise for me was seeing the pages by Kevin Eastman in the middle of this book. That didn't send you back to the late 80s, early 90s. I you know, wherever know. you see Michelangelo's flashback 
or journey to what he had done after the big explosion and how he was trying to track down Splinter. And like, that's the kind of stuff that for me, you know, sent the nostalgia factor in there. It's like, wait, we have Kevin Eastman pages in here. That's awesome. Yeah. What about the art? What did you think of the art? I loved the art. Uh, I enjoy, I did enjoy those interspacing pages. It did remind me of my original trade paperback. So that was nice. Although then I was like, eh, it's a little messy here. I, again, nothing Wait, that blew me out of the water. Messy? Did you ever read the original Ninja Turtle comics? Well, I guess my question to J.A. is he was in the same boat as me. Like you didn't feel any of that. Like I'm going home again. And I was, this isn't exactly the homecoming I was expecting. Or were you like, nah, this was exactly what I was expecting. Me? I liked it. I, I, I didn't read Ninja Comics growing up. So uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole thing. I thought it was oh. gritty. It was Frank Miller-esque, but fun. You know, yeah, there were no they, Nazis. They give new Shredder Terminator 2 liquid metal armor. How awesome is that? <laughs> All right. Well, Can I, I just point we... out that again, you know, everything is better without Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could go back and forth on this, but those were our two viewpoints. I wonder which one you picked. But I, we'll get to our rating section right after this commercial break. So stay tuned for that. Get ready for the new sitcom Forza Crown. Everything was coming up roses for Bradley and Cameron until... I could just lie here with you forever. I think we should see other people. And as if that wasn't tragic enough... The rent is going up higher than annual passes at Disney World. But they have a plan... Turning this place into a brothel. To get a roommate. Enter Allison and Dylan. Your endless sexual escapades. Whole new men into home office. Join these 30-somethings as they face the challenges of balancing careers and dating after 29. Coming soon to a podcatcher near you. Hi, I'm Kevin DeCristofano. And I'm Sean Flanagan. And we are the Ninja Turtle Nerds, your weekly podcast covering the Ninja Turtle comic book series one issue at a time. Plus the video games, the cartoon show, the VHS tapes. If it's Ninja Turtles, we'll cover it. Ninja Turtle Nerds is available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings, where we are going to break some hearts of some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans or give them that good old pizza with, uh, what, was it ham and pineapples and jalapenos? Yes. I did like that line. I did like that line. And Casey Jones looked at him and said, you're you're crazy. I hate you guys, but I love you guys. I won't lie. Casey Jones and April O'Neil are always my favorite characters from that book because Casey Jones just has an awesome look with the hockey mask. And he was like. And the cricket bat. Yeah, he takes no guff from nobody. I used to love when him and Raph would just go out on the town and just beat up some thugs. That was my favorite part of the Ninja Turtle comic. Anyways, uh, what's our favorite part of our rating scale this week, J.A., in terms of a one out of four scale, I guess? One out of four heroes in a half show. Turtle power! Ah, turtle power. You know who wrote that theme song? Who wrote that theme song? Chuck Lorre. What? Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men. Yeah. <laughs> See, we're always educating on the last comic shop. Why? That's why you should continue to listen to us. All right. So we're, I think we're going to do a little bit of a rating sandwich because I feel like there's two people that like this book and then me. So we're going to start off with J.A. What, what was uh, your rating of this book? Yeah, I'm going to give it a, a solid 3.25 heroes in half shell. 
I love the art. It was gritty. I love the the throwback pages in the middle and all of the stuff that took place in the past. I loved how they played with in that first issue, and they didn't let you know who who the turtle was until the very end. I liked April O'Neil's daughter, Casey Jones, Casey Marie Jones. I love the ending. How at the end you've she's raising a bowl of turtles to teach them. Yeah. So you've got the next generation of, of mutant turtles coming up. I guess they're not teenagers yet. They're just babies. But um, <laughs> that's the you get a whole different cartoon. Yeah, that's, yes. the Nick, that's the Nick Jr. version. Yes, it would be like uh, baby mutant ninja turtles. <laughs> I really appreciated how dark and gritty it was. The fight scenes, people are getting their heads cut off, which I think. Yeah. Is, is much closer to the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles than what a lot of us got in the 90s and the late 80s, which was, you know, cartoon PG versions, where the original was very, very dark and, and much more hyper-violent. Was the story a bit paint-by-numbers? Maybe, but, you know, I watched by Bob Ross. It's full of happy little trees. It was, it was good comic booking. Happy little turtles. Yes. All right. Well, I'll go next. Uh, and again, I'm I'm not going to completely crap on this book, despite what I might have said in the previous segment. It's a two. It's two Ninja Turtles for me. It's an average Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles tale. Uh, I think I'll pick my favorites. How about that? So that it's a it's a better two than uh, you might think. So my favorites are always Leonardo and Raphael. They're uh, my yin and yang of the Ninja Turtle clan. Um, you can't have a great Ninja Turtle book without those two characters and their sibling rivalry over the years has been epic for me. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. I said it before and I'll say it again. I was hoping that this was going to rekindle my love of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because again, unlike Masters of the Universe, which was another property from my childhood I love, that has continued well into my 40s. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was something I loved, and eventually I went, eh, that's kind of kiddie stuff, and I don't like them anymore. And uh, I was hoping this was going to be like, yeah, now i got to read all of the rest of the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff, and it didn't. I was just like, oh, this was a thing, and I had to read this this week, and okay, it's all right, it's fine. It's no different than Old Man Logan. It's no different than... Uh, uh, Dark Knight Returns, and maybe that was done on purpose, but I said, well, I think some of those series are still better, and this is just kind of a retread. So, yeah, I can't give it more than two Ninja Turtles. I, I, I'm more excited about Shredder's Revenge. If I want to go home again, I'm going to play some arcade games. That's what I'm going to do. Chad. Okay, so if you are not a curmudgeonly old man like my man Andrew over there, uh, <laughs> if you're somebody that grew up watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon reading the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, there's a good chance you were slightly aged now. And I, I think this is a great story for those fans that came of age with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like I said, this one exists outside of the IDW continuity, which um, I heard is actually really good. And it's one of those things that's on my list to check out sooner or later. But this was its own thing. And I, I do think the, the criticisms of it being a little bit paint-by-numbers... That's fair, because this is your your end of days tale. This is how everything went wrong. You know, this is where people made those mistakes or where people made those grand sacrifices. And it lays it all out there to bear. And if you're somebody that, that cares about the characters, 
they, they do a great job of playing with your emotions. They do a great job of presenting this gritty story uh, with nuance. All those pieces are there. And even if you're not somebody who's kept up with the Ninja Turtles, I do think this is a book that you can just pick up and read. You don't need a whole bunch of other backstory. They fill in the stuff that you're going to need to know here. I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, watching Michelangelo's journey as the old grizzled band, like you, you talked about how, oh, I've seen that before in The Dark Knight Returns. I've seen that before in Old Man Logan. But have you seen it with Ninja Turtles? Because this is that with Ninja Turtles. And there's so much fun to be had in the, you know, the gritty pastiches here. There's just a lot to enjoy if you allow yourself to enjoy it. And so I, I'm going to give it 3.75 Ninja Turtles. Turtle power. Are there areas to be critical? Sure. You know, are there notes that have been tread upon and other stories? Yeah, okay. But seeing those Ninja Turtle ghosts giving Michelangelo the business, that was awesome. Seeing new Shredder with the Terminator armor, that's awesome. Seeing Fugitoid versus Bactor Stockman, that was awesome. There's so much about this that is just awesome fun. And uh, I definitely think it's something that if you're a Turtle fan, uh, if you're a comic book fan, you owe it to yourself to check it out. It's good stuff. 3.75. Well, some other good stuff that we've got, hopefully for all of you, is our recommendations. This is the time of the part of the show where if you're going out to your local comic book shop to pick up The Last Ronin, uh, make sure that you check out some of these other books today. So we'll go ahead and start off with uh, J.A. Scott who's got our first recommendation of the day. What do we got for us this week? So after reading uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, I had this intense urge to read more samurai-themed books. And I went back to the original source, and I found one that I think Chad has spoken a lot about, because he probably has a signed copy of it somewhere that he found (laughs) in a book bin or something. Lone Wolf and Cub. I actually do. I have a Frank Miller side issue that I found in a buck bin. Anyway, go ahead. By Kazuo Koike and Goseki Kojima. Put out by Dark Horse, I'm recommending uh, Volume 1, Assassin's Road, which is a trade that basically collects a bunch of stories. This is a manga that came out um, in Japan, and they did a really good job translating the Japanese into English. It's all in black and white. And if you like... Movies like Zadoichi, The Wandering Swordsman, or sort of Ronin-style, Japanese-style sword books, this is perfect for you. The essential, essentially, it is is a man who walks around with his son as a sword for hire, <laughs> and it's him and his baby in a pram walking around Japan, taking jobs and you know getting into trouble and, and killing people and saving his son at the same time. The first story is great. He's He's been hired to kill somebody, so he lets it be known to a spy that he's been hired to kill this governor, and then he kills the spy, and he, he goes towards the governor's province, and the governor has this army out looking for him, and they, and they, oh, that's the guy. That's who our spy told us, this guy with the kid. So they arrest him, and they bring him in front of the governor, where he then proceeds to kill the governor. <laughs> Why, you know what that reminds me of? Chad and I used to read this uh, the series called uh, Torpedo, which was all about a hitman like that. And he also used, it was always like, what was his plan to get to the to get to the mark? Like he dressed up like Santa Claus at one point. That's the same thing. 
and I really love it because you know me, I'm a huge fan of Savage Sword of Conan, which is all like six panel, nine panel, black and white magazine. This is six panel, nine panel, black and white drawings. Just, just beautiful, beautiful art. Well, there you go. I think that's one of Mikey Wood's favorite series, too. I think he's got all of that. So you might have to trade notes with our good friend Mikey Wood. On I will. And uh, currently, if you have a Comixology Unlimited account, you can read it for free. Oh, there you go. Always good to get things for free. My recommendation is another quartet of superheroes that is worth revisiting because they've got a movie that will be coming out soon, so there's a lot of interest in the Fantastic Four. And so uh, I'm going to recommend a comic book that I feel like most people could probably find for like $5, because I've gone to like six or seven comic book shops and found like copies of this in hardback for about five bucks. So it's real easy to get, and it's a really nice collection. It's Fantastic Four Season 1. And uh, it was put out a couple years ago when Marvel had this initiative of kind of retelling the origin stories of a lot of their big name characters, whether it was this, there's a Hulk one that I think is written by Fred Van Lente, uh, among uh, some other ones. I think there's a Spider-Man one, a Daredevil one. They're all called season ones. But the Fantastic Four season one is written by a really great writer in Roberto Aguirre Sakara. Uh, who you may may not know, but you should if you're a fan of Riverdale, because he was one of the main creative forces behind the Riverdale TV show, as well as doing some great adaptations of other literary books, like he did the Marvel adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand, as well as he did Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which Chad and I have read in the past. Uh, so again, Roberto knows how to kind of take a story and kind of transform it into something that's both cinematic and easily digestible and so if you really want a retelling of the fantastic four uh, origin story which is even a little bit better than the uh, ultimates version which i never really liked i never really liked what they did with the ultimates fantastic four i think you should read season one because again it tells you the whole story they go up into space they get their cosmic powers you know there's some great stuff with thing there's some really great art by david marquez and it gives you basically everything you know about the fantastic four and gets you into the series even mole man uh, is in this series and namor and you get some interplay between Namor and Sue. But it was, again, a little more modern retelling of that. But plus, the best thing about this particular book is at the end of it, you get the first issue of Jonathan Hickman's run that leads all into the incursions and everything. So if you are excited about Phase 4 MCU, if you're excited about the Fantastic Four movie coming out, if you're excited and want to learn more about the incursions and the Council of Infinite Reads and all that stuff, this is the book to get because you get the origin story plus you get the first issue of a run that you're probably going to invest about two years in reading because there's a lot of it as we've talked about before leading up to jonathan hickman's magnum opus in secret wars so yeah that's what i got for you uh chad what do you got for us okay so i actually have two recommendations first is for those ninja turtle fans out there if you have not gone on to netflix and watched the teenage mutant ninja turtle episode of the, a show called the toys that made us it goes through the rise of the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle phenomenon, and it tells the story, which I alluded to uh, at our very beginning, where 
there was a certain point where they wanted to introduce uh, the Venus de Milo Ninja Turtle into the into the fray. And that actually caused a, a fracture between the original creators, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And they basically went their separate ways. And uh, Kevin Eastman sold his shares in the, the Turtles to, to Peter Laird. And, and they just, they separated. These two friends, you know, that had worked so uh, intensely together. Like, it was a really sad part of the story. But uh, at the end of the episode, it manages to bring them back together. And so the, the rumor in comic circles is the publishing of The Last Ronin is actually the culmination of the scene in that Toys That Made Us episode where they meet each other again after so many years apart. And they sit down at a drawing table and they're drawing and penciling and inking each other's work. It's really touching. And if you are a Turtles fan, you owe it to yourself to track down the Toys That Made Us. I think it was in season two they did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. It is great. And just to add to that, they re-released the classic Turtle Toys Cowabunga! a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. I actually I saw some recently in the clearance aisle of my local Walmart. There you but, go. And if you are a fan of the Turtles, that probably means you're a fan of ninjas, you're a fan of war, uh, you're a fan of craziness. If these are the things you're into, I highly recommend that you check out G.I. Joe Classics Volume 3. <laughs> by Larry Hama and a number of assorted artists. And this is something I recommend you do this on, on uh, Kindle or Comixology because the print versions are a little bit harder to find. You're, you're better off trying to track down the issues. But uh, Volume 3 starts with Issue 21 of G.I. Joe, which is the famous silent issue where because of certain deadline things going on, uh, Larry Hama basically took it upon himself to write an issue and draw an issue of G.I. Joe uh, with some help from some of the other creators, of course, but no words, no words throughout the entire issue. It's one of the best issues of GI Joe. It's one of those issues of comic books. If you love comic books, you owe it to yourself to check out that issue. So that's included in this collection for volume three. Also, it has the origins of storm shadow and snake eyes and stalker, at least part of the origins back when they were serving together in the war. And then also in the in-between issues, you just get that classic G.I. Joe craziness. And that was one of the things I enjoyed the most about The Last Ronin, was you had all these like semi-realistic military tactical style invasions and all the different use of weaponry. And like if you've only known G.I. Joe through the cartoons, know that the comic books were a totally different bag. Uh, and this was really where they, they started hitting their stride in terms of the greatness of the G.I. Joe comic books, where it did have a more realistic point of view than the cartoon. It had that nuance. And Larry Hama is one of the best. And so if you want to see some of the best G.I. Joe work, pick up Classics Volume 3. It contains issues 21 through 30. If you like The Last Ronin, you'll love that too. Does that include that issue called Unmasked? I had that growing up, where like all three masks are on the cover. No, that's in the 50s, but uh, oh! also a good issue. That is a great issue. I love that one. I think at one point, uh, Cobra Commander puts on glasses and like really? fake mustache. And I, I I read that issue like six, seven times when I was growing up. But I, I saw there was uh, some G.I. Joes on sale in the toy store when I was there yesterday. And they had a Snake Eyes and he had two heads. He had like the normal head and then he had a, 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 a human head. Is this uh -huh. a new thing that Snake Eyes has a face? 
well, Snake Eyes has a face, obviously. Well, obviously, but yes. Hideously deformed. That was one of the running gags in the comics, is every now and again, people would be exposed to Snake Eyes' face and just turn around and puke. Like, ah, Yeah, but he didn't, he, he didn't have a, he looked like a Keanu Reeves clone type well, thing. It wasn't a deformed face. I'm thinking what you're seeing is the movie toy from the Snake Eyes movie, which I still haven't seen. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. It was six <laughs> inches. It was too expensive. Yeah, it was, it's from that new origin movie. So maybe that was before his horrific accident. Oh. But, uh, All right. Well, one horrific accident we hope you don't have next week is not tuning into another episode of The Last Comic Shop because we're always available for you out on our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a place where you can rate, review, and subscribe to The Last Comic Shop for the rest of the summer and beyond that, too. Because every single week we're giving you some awesome comic book reviews and recommendations. And next week, I think we've got some pretty cool interviews that we cut with some awesome comic book creators uh, at a local uh, Comic Con. So make sure that you tune in for that. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Why don't you do it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm just going to leave a yep in there. And if you want more from The Last Comic Shop, you can find us on your favorite socials like Twitter and Instagram. We are at Last Comic Shop. Uh, we have weekly polls, daily factoids, Golden Age covers to put you to bed, comic books we're buying, all sorts of comic book fun and discussion. And if you need uh, help getting back to our home base, it's www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com where they can find what else, J.A.? Well, we've got t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, all sorts of merchandise, also colored uh, what do they call those? Eye scarves. What would you yeah. call that? A bandana? I know that J.A. makes up this stuff every single week that we have out on our website, but this one you actually could. If you bought four t-shirts of the four Ninja Turtle, uh, you, you could make many little head bandanas. Just cut up the cloth off. Just make them. Have a little last yeah. comic. Domino masks, I guess they're called, right? Cut domino off the masks. sleeves and, yeah, make your own Ninja Turtle. Right! Exactly. There you go. Size uh, and nunchucka sold separately. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while we are the last comic shop podcast, we don't want to be the last comic shop, so we encourage you guys to get out to the local shops near you. Uh, you can use the comic shop locator, www.comicshoplocator.com, to find one where you could pick up things like the last Ronin, or you could look up the G.I. Joe Classics Volume 3, or you could find Lone Wolf and Cub Volume 1, or perhaps even Fantastic Four Season 1. All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. And we hope that you come back to the last comic shop next week. Until then, I was the host of the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And remember to stay safe, stay cool. And when the evil shredder attacks, them turtle boys don't cut them no slack. Go ninja, go ninja, go ninja. The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.